You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Now, I mentioned this last week, but the Revision Path Job Board and the 10th Collective Talent Collective have now combined. It's now sort of one and the same. So when a company places a listing on the job board, they also will automatically be a part of the Talent Collective. And, you know, I've mentioned the 10th Collective, I don't know, maybe since probably the spring, uh, which is this new initiative from the State of Black Design and from Revision Path, where we are trying to pair up companies that are looking to hire black designers with black designers that are looking for work. Now, I know over the past few months, people have been getting laid off left and right. A lot of folks are looking for their new opportunities. Let us be a resource for you as you look for whatever your next opportunity is. And look, I'll be honest, I'm in the 10th Collective too. I got laid off in August, so I'm looking for work as well. So it's a great resource to have in your back pocket, whether you need it or not. Um, if you want to join, if you're a black designer, it's free to join. All you have to do is fill out a really short profile and you're all set. You'll only get contacted by companies when they're ready to talk to you. And you can hide your profile from companies or remain completely anonymous. So you can just head over to the 10thcollective.com to join. There's also a link in the show notes. We're still kind of working out the rate structure for more companies to join, um, but we'll hopefully have that done by the end of the month. So for members, it's still free to join. Sign up today. Hope to see you there. This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With over 400 plus domain extensions to choose from, including all the classics and fun niche extensions, Hover is the only domain provider I use and trust. So what are you waiting for? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Now for this week's interview, I'm talking with Nikita M. Pope, a brand strategist, AIGA fellow, and the founder of Branding Chicks in Atlanta, Georgia. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, I'm Nikita Pope. I am a designer, creative director, studio owner, and professor. <laughs> I'm the chief chick at Branding Chicks, which is a boutique branding agency here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I specialize in brand strategy and brand development for women-owned businesses and femme-focused brands. How's the year been going so far? Oh, man, the year has been a little bit of a whirlwind. I was just talking to someone the other day and telling them that during the pandemic, everybody, well, a lot of people kind of slowed down, like everything got a little bit slower. The pace wasn't as rigorous. For me, everything sped up a little bit. It was super busy. And so I feel like 2022 has been kind of about sort of wrapping up that kind of frenzied level of work and sort of coming back to center a little bit. So it's been some ups and downs, but it's been a good year. I can't complain. It's been a great year. Is there anything like in particular that you want to try to accomplish this year, like before the end of the year? Oh, man, get some rest. <laughs> mm. 
That is my goal by the end of this year. I am uh, wrapping up some things right now. And that's my goal is to kind of take this last quarter of the year. I don't know if it'll be the whole quarter, but I definitely want to take some time at the end of this year to just sort of recenter myself and get some rest. I'm always doing so many things at once. I kind of like it that way as a creative. It keeps me from being bored, but I'm starting to realize that it's been a very long time since I stopped everything. And so I'm looking forward to taking some space to do that. Good. Definitely take that space now before I say, oh, I guess before like the winter really starts, but Mm -hmm. it kind of feels like anytime like between Thanksgiving and New Year's is sort of a down period for everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's hopefully you'll, you'll get a chance to get some of that rest. I think we all probably need that. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. More than we think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's talk about branding chicks. Now, you've been in business now for, what, over 12 years now, right? Yeah, it's been a while. It went by so fast. That sounds crazy, 12 years. Yeah. How has your business changed since we last talked? That was like back in 2016. How has your business changed? It's changed quite a bit. Like a lot of it has stayed the same, but so much of it has changed. I think part of what has changed, well, I'll start with something that stayed the same. So one of the things that stayed the same is I kind of always worked remotely, like because I have sort of a a niche sort of brand, I feel like I end up working with people all over. And so it's not specific to Atlanta necessarily. And so that was always kind of how I worked. But now since the pandemic and like all that stuff, I find that it's expanding even more because other people are now looking, you know, outside of their geographic locations even more and understanding that they can do like really robust and deep work with people, even if they're not necessarily in the same place or able to meet face to face. So I feel like that has both stayed the same and also changed. I feel that I've also been able to work with some amazing organizations that are doing really great work that I feel really strongly about personally. I've been able to do some deeper dives with some brands and do some larger projects with some of those brands. And to me, that's growth, like to allow me to do more of what I want to be doing and more of where I feel that I can have the best impact. Like Mm -hmm. that's how I measure success. So in that space, I'm really happy with the direction that things are going in. Have you seen a change in the market with respect to sort of like the things clients are looking for? Like have things shifted or changed during the pandemic? Oh, yeah. I think some of it from a brand strategy standpoint, I'm noticing more and more that organizations and companies are starting to understand that even if they were already committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion, they are looking to build that and bake that into their brands a bit more, which I love to see because that's something I'm passionate about as well. And I know that in some cases we see companies doing that and we're not sure if it's going to stick. But from my perspective, when I see companies that come to me for that and they are looking at like the foundational parts of their brand and their brand personality and their core values and things like that, if they're baking it into those things, then I find that they are more deeply passionate about it and more committed to it. So I see a lot of that happening on my end, which, like I said, I'm really happy to see. And it allows me to 
work in some of those spaces that I work in outside of my business, also in my business. So it gives me a chance to kind of bring some of that knowledge in and also help people build brands that they really, they feel like really represents them in every way. So I see a lot of that shifting. When did you sort of first see that shift? I'm curious. I think 2020, you know, I think when George Floyd happened and so much of the conversation got so much louder, a lot of us have been talking about this for a long time, working in this space for a long time, both in the front at the front lines and behind the scenes trying to make some of these things happen. But I think that I think overarchingly after the nationwide worldwide conversation got so much louder, I think that, you know, some of these companies are realizing that they need to change their ways and or if they were already committed to it, then they need to be even more vocal about their commitment. So I feel like that was the catalyst for a lot of it, to be honest. Mm. What does a, a typical day look like for you now? Oh, man, it's all over the place. Most days I am working on client work. Two days a week, I'm usually teaching as a professor. But other than that, I'm, you know, some days I'm also consulting or I might have a public speaking engagement or doing things like this, doing a podcast interview. So it really varies quite a bit from day to day, but I kind of like that. Like it keeps me from being bored and it gives me a chance to dive deeper into the things that I care about and like the things that the spaces that I work in, in a lot of different ways. Like it's all connected. Like it doesn't feel disjointed to me. It's all connected in some way, but it gives me a chance to kind of touch it in different ways and they all feed each other. So all the things that I learn with my client engagement, brings me into like the consulting with other clients, all of those experiences I can bring to my students and give them a more robust education about how we work with clients and things that I'm working on and what the industry looks like and all that stuff. And, you know, when I'm doing industry stuff, then I, I learn some other things and then bring it back to some of those other things. So I feel like it's all connected, but it does allow me to have a different day every day. Mm. I'm curious, has the pandemic change business for you in any way? I know we talked about sort of like, have you seen a change in the market? But mm -hmm. since the pandemic has started, has that shifted how you do business? Not particularly, to be honest. I think just in terms of like my processes and like my creative process and stuff, that hasn't changed very much. Like I said, you know, I think more people are willing to work remotely. So that's changed a little bit of like the opportunities that I've been getting and people that are reaching out to work with me. I think from a logistical standpoint, I think more people want to be on video these days. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I said, I've worked with people all over the country for a while now. And most times people were completely fine with just a phone call. But now that everybody's kind of been forced to work remotely, I think that video calls are now the go-to instead of the phone call. So the, from a logistical standpoint, that is something that I've seen that's changed, which I don't mind most times, but it is definitely interesting to see the shift in that. I think, but then I saw the uptick in it and then I saw the fatigue that came from it. So now <laughs> I've gone back to like giving people a choice. Like, listen, you don't have to be on video if you don't want to. Yeah. Like, you know, let me know what's work, what works best for you. I don't want to make it more uncomfortable for you or make it more of a heavy lift to have this meeting. So I, I try to be respectful of that too. Yeah. I say that also when I have meetings, like I actually have two separate booking links. One is for phone, mm -hmm. one is for Zoom. Mm -hmm. And I'll only give the Zoom to people that I like. 
like <laughs> like people that I want to see. I'm like, yeah. you can get the Zoom call. If you just hit me up out the blue and want something, a phone call is fine. Just the same information. Uh, so I, I get what you're saying, though, about like having that option, though, because even I think, you know, with the fact that everybody's getting on video, mm-hmm. folks still have not really gotten used to it. Like we're, no. what, two something years in and people are still like, oh, sorry about the background or like the lighting is bad or whatever. And like, yeah. I'm not expecting studio quality video here, even right, though right. we are very much in the future. I'm not expecting that, but I don't know. Sometimes it's different. Plus there's all these different video like platforms. There's yeah. Zoom, there's Google Meet, there's WebEx, there's what do I, what else what else do I have installed? I have Blue Jeans, I have Teams. I'm like, just pick <laughs> up the phone. Too much. <laughs> right, just pick up the phone. It's the same information. It's the same information. I'm, I'm gonna have to steal that one. I might have two separate links too now. Because <laughs> mine was already set up, just the default was phone. And then what I, I realized that all the instructions said I will give you a call at that time yeah. after they book, right? But I still get emails like I didn't ever see a link to mm-hmm. a call and i'm like that's because it wasn't really supposed to be one <laughs> yeah they'll say i didn't see a link or like sometimes yeah. what'll happen with people they'll say oh well i'm i'm in the car going somewhere and i'm not gonna be just call me just call yeah, me it's fine it's fine <laughs> it really the is. phone the phone still works <laughs> it did not go away in the pandemic it still works <laughs> i see that one thing that you're offering now is a course you're offering a course called building a business brand talk to me about that yeah um that was something that i did in collaboration with small business invoicing company. And they were looking to just build a library of resources for their small business audience. And so I was able to do that with them. And it was really great. It was a series. I think we did, I think there were three modules. But yeah, we just talked about the benefits and the value of being able to build a brand for your business. I think so many, like whether you're creative or not, right, regardless of what type of business you have, I think most of us start a business because we're really passionate about what it is that we do. Mm -hmm. We're passionate about whatever that skill set is, whatever product or service that we are putting out there in the world. And so that tends to be, for most people, where your area of expertise is. But that doesn't mean that you're necessarily an expert expert at being able to brand yourself or market yourself. Even creatives that are in these spaces every day struggle with that because it's hard to figure out what your personal brand is or your business brand is. Sometimes it it takes having some help from outside, but we just talked about the fundamentals of that and how much of a difference it can make to distinguish you in your category. I hear all the time where some people are getting ready to start new businesses or they come to me and they're like, I'm starting a business that's this, like, you know, fill in the blank. And people are telling me that I shouldn't start a business in this because it's oversaturated and there's already so many people doing that thing. And I was like, well, that's really where branding comes in. The fact that you can establish a personality or some value add or some way of talking about your product or service that's different from everybody else is what's going to stand out. So it was really kind of built around that. And it was super fun. Have you thought about like expanding into doing other courses? Oh, for sure. Um, I've done lots of workshops here and there before, both under the umbrella of other organizations and some independent ones on my own. I'm looking at, and I don't know when you know I'm going to tackle this because like I said, I'm trying to take a little bit of a break, yeah. but I'm looking at one of the things that I see is that for me, I really care so much about what it is that I do and teaching is something that's really close to my heart. So I'm always looking like, what do people need? Like, what is it that people are struggling with or where can I have the most impact? 
And one of the things I see, especially for designers, is that, and not just designers, actually, people that are in marketing, for instance, some people who have design backgrounds, or even people that are in coming from sales, often I hear people like, I want to talk about brand strategy. Like, I want to get into that, but I have no idea how to make that transition. And for designers, especially going from strictly the visual identity and like the creative side of things to talking, you know, heavily about strategy sometimes is a challenge. And it's not because they're not already doing it, because that was my situation. Like in retrospect, I realized that I was always a strategic designer. Like that was always a big part of my process, but I didn't necessarily put it out there. Like I didn't explain all of my process to my clients necessarily. Mm -hmm. I didn't build it into my proposals. Like it just wasn't like at the forefront, but it was there underneath all the time. Like before I designed anything, I did all the research. I looked at their competitors. I did all these things, but I realized that For most designers, it's hard to make that transition because they don't know how to reposition themselves in the market in that way. And they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what they need to know to be able to take those parts that they may already be doing and be able to go deeper with that and really make it a big part of their practice. And because that's part of the process that I really love, you know, I've always been looking at like, how can I do more of this? And then, of course, at some point I had that fork in the road where I had to decide, am I going to position myself in this way or am I just going to make this a bigger part of my design process? And so, you know, when I started Branding Chicks, that was the pivot for me to decide that I was going to make brand strategy sort of the thing that I led with. Um, And I still do a lot of design for my clients, but I also am now in a place where probably about half of my clients I'm only doing strategy for. I'm not necessarily creating any deliverables on the design side. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. And I feel like we've started to see designers probably over the past maybe four or five years start to lean more into that strategy because it's been pushed mm-hmm. It's been pushed a lot to say yes. like, yes, you can know how to do design. You can know the programs and the tools and the methods, but until you're able to sort of apply that in a business sense, mm-hmm. then that's when you'll become like truly effective. Like Douglas mm-hmm. Davis, who we both know, has a whole book about it. So it's something that we're starting to see a lot of designers try to like go into. The thing with the courses, though, I'm really interested about because I feel like mm-hmm. courses are something that, and I'm dating myself here. I'm thinking way back to like <laughs> 2010, probably even a little bit earlier than that. But like, do you remember Creative Live? Does that sound familiar to you? Yes, I do. Yeah. Creative Live used to do these like multi-day courses with Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs would come in and they would teach. And I mean, for the time, it was pretty novel. I actually don't even know what Creative Live is doing now. But I know that something that is pushed on a lot of entrepreneurs is like, oh, take the knowledge that you know, put it into a course and then like sell the course, which is always an option. But like, are your clients going to be the same people that you want to sell your course to? Like, it feels like it opens up a separate revenue stream potentially. but then. Unless you're just not like a great salesman, like that's skills you have to sort of tap into. Like I tried to do courses when I had my studio. Mm-hmm. And even though I've taught before, I was like, I don't want to like sell the course. I didn't, it didn't feel <laughs> right for me to, to sell the course. And like, I know that people do Skillshare. This was actually a little bit before Skillshare, but mm-hmm. people would do Skillshare and things like that. I taught at Media Bistro and I sort of did my courses that way. Like, And it was easy because it was just like you had a PowerPoint, you had a microphone, you spoke all through the lessons and stuff like that. And it works, but like it did add on for me, at least it just added on this like extra dimension of sales that I have to do. And I'm like, 
it's not worth it. Like for the money that I'm getting from it, <laughs> yeah. it's not worth it for me trying to like hustle on these courses. Like I'll just get some more clients. Yeah, I totally get that. And I agree with you. I don't think that any of the courses that I've done previously or like the one that I'm going to be doing about brand strategy isn't really targeted towards clients. It's much more targeted to other creative professionals more than anything else. You know, so if I look at it as a form of professional development. I mean, because I did that, the one that you're talking about in partnership with someone else, like that was meant to be an evergreen course. So Mm -hmm. it was fully recorded and like all that kind of stuff. And so they'll have it for a while and their audiences can access it whenever. The way that I'm approaching my brand strategy course is I'm looking at it as sort of a masterclass. I want it to be hands on and I want it to be small and I want it to be in real time. Because I enjoy that part of teaching and I feel like there's so much, there's so much to learn, there's so much to share, and there's so many questions that people always have that this is born out of like my day to day and like people that ask me these questions or they send me emails and those kind of things. So I'm looking at, you know, how can I help them in real time? I want to answer your question, not a question, a general question like yours. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I want to answer your question, right? So I feel like for me, I'm looking at, you know, sort of a a masterclass kind of thing more than like an evergreen, like pre-recorded kind of course. You know, I think there's a lot of value in those as well, but I don't know if that's what I really want to do. I just like the hands on so much more. So that's the way that I'm looking at it. Yeah, I got you. So while we're talking about teaching, I have to ask you about the creative circus. The creative circus is where you've taught for how long have you been teaching there? I think this is my 13th year. 13 years. It's closing its doors. Jordan Taylor, who I had on a couple of episodes ago, we talked about that. How do you feel about it? It's a set of mixed emotions. It really is. Other than, you know, some workshops here and there and some guest lectures and things like that. This has been my most continuous experience with teaching. And it's something that I truly love. So it's always going to be something I truly love. I've seen so many talented people come through those doors and it's such an amazing alumni network and so many people I'm still connected to, you know, both that are still in the building, people that are, you know, uh, graduates, former instructors and things like that. So it's a mixed set of emotions. I, I think I'm excited about what my next chapter looks like. I know that that, you know, that frees up some mental and emotional space and also some some time to do some other things. So in in some ways, I'm excited about that, but I'm going to miss that place. I'm going to miss my students. So it's definitely been some emotional times up and down (laughs) over the last six months or so. When you sort of look back at that time, because you not only were there as a teacher, but you were Mm -hmm. advising, especially along DEI and stuff like that. Mm hmm. What feelings in particular like come to mind? Like, are there any sort of memories that you have specifically about your time there? Oh, so many. I think the things that stand out most to me is as a teacher, the thing that you want the most is to watch someone's light bulb go off. And they're like, oh, man, I get it now. And I've seen that happen over the years in multiple ways. Sometimes it's about a course that I'm teaching. Sometimes it's about, you know, the DEI training that I might be doing, or it might just be like those life conversations that I have with my students. 
I just love connecting with the students more than anything else. So many of those moments are the ones that I hold close, where they trusted me to tell me something about their lives or to ask for advice. I was able to help them with something that really made a difference for them in their professional careers or Mm -hmm. their academic careers. Like those are the things that I'm going to keep close to my heart because those are the things that let me know that I was having impact and made it all worth it. Yeah. When you step back and just look at, I guess, like Atlanta as a, I don't know, I guess you could say like a design education city. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, over the, I'd say maybe the past 20 or so years, I mean, like we had Atlanta College of Art and then that went away. Now there's a creative circus that's going away. I know there's been, I've heard there's been some changes at the Portfolio Center, which is now, I think it's now just called Miami Ad School, Mm -hmm. I believe. How do you feel about just like the state of design education in the city? I mean, I feel like we've had these specialized colleges for a while that taught them. And then over the years, they've sort of changed and went away in some way. Yeah, um, lots of changes over the years. I think some of it, well, one of the things, like you said, this is definitely a design education city. When I was on the board with AIGA, I was running the education committee and we have seven design programs in Metro Atlanta. Like that is unheard of for even most other metropolitan cities. So even like the more niche schools that you're talking about, they're still like, you know, Georgia State has design programs. Georgia Tech has design programs. University of Georgia, which we kind of still count. There's other schools as well that have design programs, even Mm -hmm. outside of like the portfolio schools and more specialized schools and things like that. So it was just like such a breadth of education in that space. I think that some of the changes are good. I think some of them are going to have some ripple effects. I think one of the things that was has always been a struggle, and I think with the changes in the programs, it's going to add to it, is that even though so many people have been educated in design here in the city or around the city, mm-hmm. they tend to not stay in the community for their professional pursuits. Like they get their education, you know, in this space and then they move to another place, which nothing is wrong with that. But that has been part of the challenge is like trying to retain that that talent here, because I think sometimes even if, especially for those students who might move into the city specifically to go to school, they don't necessarily always have time while they're in school to dive into the the creative communities here in a real way. So they kind of only see the little bubble that's created for them by their programs. So they don't necessarily get a chance to see all that's available and what the real like Atlanta creative community looks like. So when it's look time for them to look for a job, they don't always consider staying. Mm. I feel like there's an ongoing trend in Atlanta about not being able to kind of retain or I would say appreciate creative talent, not just in design. Like I'm thinking specifically about music, but music, art, design. I feel like that's an ongoing thing where I don't know if and I mean, we're speaking of the city like as it's a person, but like (laughs) I don't know if the city appreciates what it has and what it cultivates here to the point where people would want to stay here. Like there's been several musicians that have blown up elsewhere, Mm -hmm. but when Mm -hmm. they were here in Atlanta, nobody would give them a chance. Mm -hmm. I've certainly had folks on the show who were from Atlanta and they may have gotten their education here, but they had to go elsewhere Mm -hmm. to like find opportunities or, or to like do big things. You know, I've had other Atlanta folks like, that are, I would say, other educators and other business folks to mm-hmm. sort of ask, like, why do you think that's the case? Like, what is it about Atlanta that's not making these people want to stay? Like, yeah. is it the workforce? 
I would imagine, you know, there are other factors like this cost of living and traffic and stuff like that. But I even think about when I was in my 20s, I definitely at one point wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. I was like, I feel like I've hit a ceiling. This is well before I started Revision Path. But I was mm-hmm. like, I feel like I've hit a ceiling in my career. I don't know where else I can go from here mm-hmm. unless I move away. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what plays into it. I don't know. I don't know. I think there's a lot of factors. I think some of them you've already tapped into the other side of it. Like, you know, my experience is a little different from yours. I came here for grad school. Like I came here to go to Portfolio Center, which Mm -hmm. is now Miami Ad School. And I was going to finish my two years and I was I was going to just leave it open. Like, where do I end up? I don't know. But, you know, everything is wide open for me. And so by the time I graduated, I was actually looking at moving to Seattle But I graduated in the middle of a recession. So I shot my book all over the country and people are like, we love your work, but we're on a hiring freeze. Uh, We're not hiring anyone. So, you know, that meant that I ended up staying here. I mean, it took me a little longer to find a job and like all those things. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just stay here for a while. And so I ended up getting my first design job here. And I think that honestly, that's the best thing that could have happened for me. The other thing I'm aware of is that My situation also isn't everybody else's is that because I'm independent and I've been independent for so long, like I never really went through the process of trying to move up in a creative agency completely. Mm -hmm. I worked in agencies. I worked in in in-house like I've done a lot of those things, but, you know, sort of on the short term or or I did them for a little while. And so I did a lot of that kind of moving around in the beginning. But Mm -hmm. for the last 12 years, I've worked for myself. And so for all of the things that come along with being an independent creative, and there are many, (laughs) both positive and negative, I think one of the biggest positives is, you know, and I can say this in hindsight now, is that there is no ceiling when you're on your own. Right. When you're on your own, you create your own path for better or for worse. Like you might make some mistakes, like whatever those things look like, you're on your own. So I feel like for me, I don't know if I'd have been able to do all of the things that are available to me now had I stayed in a traditional agency environment for my entire career. And oh, wow. Yeah. And I don't know if that's the truth for everyone else or, you know, I know other people have taken that path and it's worked out extremely well for them. I don't know if it would have for me. And it's hard for me to know because I don't have the opportunity to do both. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did some in the beginning and now I'm here and I think everybody's path is their own. But I do think about that often. Like, what would that have looked like? And would I have gotten to a place where I was like, okay, like you said, I have to move away if I'm going to move up or, you know, I have to go do this if I'm going to move up or whatever those things look like. So I think it's different for everybody, but the landscape of what it looks like for different people and like what your personal like commitments are and what kind of lifestyle you want to live and like all those things really play into whether this is a good fit for you or not. But on the flip side, I do think that Atlanta is a lot of creatives here. And I do feel like it's a very supportive, creative community. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, like you said, if the city itself does everything that it can. But I feel like once you find your people here, I feel like that network is amazing. I agree. I agree 100%. Like, once you get into that niche and you find those folks, you find your, you know, your tribe, your people, whatever you want to call it, like mm-hmm. 
there's no limit to the things that you can even work on. And to speak to what you said earlier, like I did have to leave. I had to leave where I was at AT AT&T, strike out on my own. And then that's when I started to really, well, first of all, I could never have pictured staying at AT AT&T. There are people who I used to work with back then in 2008, 2008, that are still there. God bless them because it couldn't be me. Could not be me. I say that to say, though, like, I mean, for some folks, everyone has their path. For some Mm -hmm. folks, staying in that very comfortable crucible of being a production designer, if that's what they want to do, that's what they want to do. I just knew that I could do better Mm -hmm. than where I was at. And this is not a slight on the people that are still there, but like I could do better. And I just didn't know if when I think about Atlanta in 2008, I mean, this is pre-SCAD. This is pre Mm -hmm. a lot of you know, larger tech companies setting up offices and such here. This is, pre, this is pre-Uber and Lyft. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't have a car. Where am I going to find a good job? At? You know, like, <laughs> I got to catch Marta somewhere. Like, it's, it's, it's wild. So, like, now I think it's, you know, the city is definitely different in that aspect. Like, we do attract a lot of people that want to come here for, I think, just creative art stuff in general, not just for maybe design. But over the past 10 years, we've really blown up with television and entertainment, And that opens up a lot of roles in the creative space. Mm -hmm. So like the environment here has just gotten a lot more rich since then. So, yeah. Agree. Agree wholeheartedly. Now, speaking of the sort of Atlanta community, you mentioned AIGA. I just want to congratulate you on your recent AIGA Fellow Award. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Such a great honor. AIGA, for those of you out there that don't know, it's sort of the national body of professional organization for designers. And so we've got chapters all over the country. The Atlanta chapter has been active for a really long time. And each chapter has the opportunity to award fellow awards to people in their community that they feel have really moved forward the area of design or made impact on the local, regional and national level. And I think our chapter has honored 32 people, possibly. Mm-hmm. No, 16 people. It's a very short list. <laughs> so I was honored for 2021. We just had the celebration a couple months ago because of the pandemic and everything. But I was given the honor in 2021. So that was a magical moment for me. It gave me an opportunity to really celebrate, you know, my community and celebrate all the things that I've been able to to do and touch and people that I've been able to meet in this community. So it was really a great night. Nice. I'm glad that the community has come around you to recognize all of the great work that you've been doing and, and to sort of have their support for you. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great honor. It was a great honor. And now speaking of, of other projects, I see that you have this project called the Bella Boss Box. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with the idea for doing a subscription box? So we talked about having your people, right? I feel like, I don't know about you, but my friends are the ones that always get me into stuff. <laughs> Especially my creative friends. They're the ones that call you with a bright idea and be like, so this is what I'm thinking, right? So it was kind of similar to that. Um, one of my good friends, I'm Nikita Taylor, and actually we met through a client. A client of mine introduced me to her because she was like, I think you guys should meet. And so this was years ago. And so we've been friends and professional colleagues for a while. She's in 
public relations. And so during the pandemic, we hadn't done our normal like check-ins or like have coffee here and there kind of thing. And so we finally had a check-in call and, you know, we were just catching up and talking and we just kind of ended up talking about our journeys as entrepreneurs and what the pandemic had been like and our support systems and things like that. And the fact that without those support systems, like we wouldn't have been able to do, you know, half of the things that we've been able to do. And so, From that conversation, we started thinking about what must it be like for people who are, especially women, who are starting businesses or running businesses who don't have that support system. I think that I've been lucky personally because of my network and people who've introduced me to other people or just friends of mine who I've been friends with for a long time, but who are now also business owners as well. And like, even if your friends and your family support you and what you're doing, And sometimes they won't, sometimes they just won't understand. But even if they do, if they've never done it before, they still don't know what it's actually like. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it helps to have someone that you can pick up the phone and call and ask a question and not feel like, feel like it's a safe space to ask a question or to just vent, you know, and be like, look, I'm about to go work at Popeye's. That used to be mine. When I was really frustrated with being an entrepreneur, I'm like, yep, I'm, I just go work at Popeye's. I like chicken. It'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you need those people that you can call and say that and they totally get it. Like, you don't have to explain it. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. They're just like, oh, it's that day, huh? Mm-hmm. So what happened? Right. And so that's kind of how it was born. We talked about it. And she's like, no. I think you should do, we talked about a a subscription box. Like how could we build a community of women that would have that, would be able to connect with each other in that way. So we came up with the idea for a subscription box and I was like, you know, that would be really cool. And she's like, you should definitely do it. And I'm like, I should do it. Why I got to do it. And so (laughs) she's like, I don't have time to do it. And I was like, well, I'm not doing it if you're not doing it. And then next thing I know, we're setting up an actual call to talk about it. And that was like October, 2020. And so we planned this whole thing and launched the whole thing during the pandemic. Like we launched in April, 2021. We hadn't seen each other in person until like March, 2021. So this was all done on Zoom (laughs) during the pandemic, even though she lives here, like we were still, you know, kind of staying away from everybody and stuff. So it was kind of crazy. But it's been awesome. I feel like we've connected with some really amazing women all over the country who have a multitude of different types of businesses and things like that. And then just this summer, we decided that we were going to pivot a little bit. The subscription box was going really well. As a designer, it was awesome. It gave me an opportunity to create things specifically for that community. We had a zine. I was designing products for the boxes and I did all the branding for the boxes themselves and like all that stuff. And she's in PR, like, you know, she did a lot of the writing and things like that. So we really were a good fit to complement each other. But this summer we looked at everything and kind of Like we tried to have those moments where we stop everything and start working on the business instead of in it. And like, okay, where are we and where do we want to be? And we felt like the community part of it wasn't getting as much shine as we really wanted. Like that was why we built this thing in the first place. So we decided to kind of take a break and regroup and relaunch just the community. So we're still kind of working on that. We're taking a break. She's busy. I'm busy. We both have separate businesses on top of this one. So we've decided to just kind of take a break for a little while, really get grounded in what we want, and then relaunch again. 
preferably we want to do an online community so that we give uh, have a chance to go more to provide deeper relationships for the women that are our subscribers. So that's so that's what we really want to do. Okay, so you're like pivoting from the subscription box to like an online community. So just sort of taking that notion and like mm. deepening it, I guess. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because I think what we heard from our subscribers was that, you know, they love the the items in the box and they love so much of that stuff and the magazine and all those things. But they really love the idea of being exposed to other women who are doing amazing things and hearing about people's businesses. And like we would do this series called Respect on Our Name. So we would do interviews with Black women entrepreneurs on Instagram. So people really responded to those kind of things a little bit more than the items in the box. And so much of the stuff in the box was also about providing resources and information. So we felt like we could kind of wrap that all up and also bring the community to a higher level if we pivot it a little bit. So that's what we're looking at doing. Now, you interviewed me back in 2018 for Design Observer. Mm -hmm. And during that interview, you had asked me how passion projects have impacted my career. Now I want to kind of flip the script and ask you that question. Like, <laughs> how have your passion projects impacted your career? Lots of different ways. I think um, Bella Boss is definitely one of those passion projects. Like I probably would have done that even if it wasn't a business. Like that's just something I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about seeing Black women shine and succeed and, you know, women in general. And I think running a business has been such an adventure for me in so many ways. And I think that I know what it's like even when you have support. I can't imagine what it's like when you don't have support. So I always try to be that support or, you know, give people resources wherever I can. So I think Bella Boss is definitely something I would consider to be a passion project. Mentoring is another passion of mine. Almost everything that I've done has come from something that holds a special place in my heart. Like teaching is just more of mentorship for me. So mentorship and teaching are very much tied together. I've done a lot of public speaking and I used to be terrified of public speaking, <laughs> but the thing that shifted public speaking for me was looking at it as a bigger classroom. And because I love teaching so much, I'm like, well, that's just, you just get a chance to share knowledge with more people. So I feel like those aspects of my career have come out of like the passion of wanting to share with other people. Branding is so much, you know, about like being creative and solving problems and like all those kinds of things. And I think all of those things are core to my personality and core to like the things that I care about. Like my, one of the stories that I love the most about when I was a kid is that my mom used to tell me that I used to love puzzles. And so she would buy me all these different puzzles. So because I had so many, like I got to a point where I would literally like dump them all the, all the pieces out in the middle of the floor and solve them all at one time. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much what I do every day. Mm hmm. <laughs> that's pretty much uh, the life that I've built for myself. Yeah. So when I think about things like that, I feel like all the things that I care about or that's fun for me or that's interesting for me has been like the foundation of every single thing that I do every day. How have you built your confidence over the years as a creative professional? I mean, you've been doing this for a very long time. Like that mm -hmm. longevity obviously has to sort of come from somewhere. Like what fuels you as a creative professional? I try not to stop learning. 
as a teacher, I feel like you have to learn all the time. But even outside of that, like I think I've always been kind of naturally curious. And so for me, I just I want to ask more questions. I want to learn more. I want to talk to all the people that know the things that I don't know. (laughs) I want that. Like that's what feeds me. And so I feel like confidence for me comes from knowledge and it comes from experience. And sometimes you have one without the other or vice versa. And then sometimes you have both. And I think over the years, I've just tried to continue to learn as much as I possibly can on a day-to-day basis. And because of the years behind me now, I have the experience as well. So, but in the beginning, I didn't have all the experience. I just had the knowledge and I had the willingness to learn. And I think that if nothing else, I feel like those are the two things that has allowed me to, to grow the most and to be willing to take a chance. I can't stress that enough. Like, So many of the things that I've been able to do or that I've done that I can look back and be the most proud of are the things that terrified me in the beginning. Like if it doesn't make me want to vomit a little bit when I say yes to it, (laughs) then it's probably not going to make me grow. Right. And so going back to our previous conversation just about being an independent and how that looks so different for me, I think the flexibility to try a bunch of new things and different things and to take on new challenges. Like I've had the flexibility to do that for the last 12 years and I've taken full advantage of that. If someone comes to me and says, hey, I really think you should do this thing. And I'm like, hmm, I've never done that thing before. I don't know much about that thing. Let me go learn some more about that thing and then decide. And then if I decide, well, it's going to be a challenge, but I'm going to do it anyway. I feel like that's where all the growth comes from. And those are the things that have allowed me to be more confident, like not just because of what I already know, but because of the fact that I'm willing to take a chance and willing to take on the challenge. Like I know that I've done that before and I didn't die. <laughs> and, most, <laughs> and most of the time I made some mistakes, but most of the time it went pretty well. I'm like, That just gives me more confidence to do it again to something that's unknown that I've never done before. It's like, okay, I did that. Everything was fine. Okay, let's try it again. So I think so much of that is just taking chances too. Whose work are you inspired by right now? Um, Quite a few people. Some of them are visual, of course, and then some of them are just community-based kind of things. I love what Kenny Thacker is doing with 100 Roses from Concrete in the advertising industry. I think the programming that they're putting together and the resources that they're providing for young Black people are just amazing. Visually, I am a big fan of Bisa Butler and her work. And right now, I just can't get enough of it. My best friend bought me one of her coffee table books for Christmas, and it's like one of my prized possessions right now. But I get inspiration from so many different places, and I'm like discovering new people every day, truly every day. That's why I tell my students all the time that I use social media as a curation tool. So like, I usually don't care how many people follow me, but mm-hmm. you on any of my platforms, if you go look at them, I probably follow three times more people than follow me because I'm just like, oh, I want to see what this person is doing. Oh, what is this person doing? Oh, I didn't know about this artist. Let me follow them. Or, oh, that agency is doing that. Let me follow them. So I'm just like, I just want all that good stuff coming in my feed when I log on. So I find new stuff and new people and new agencies and organizations and artists all the time. And that's part of what feeds my creative process, too. What haven't you done yet that you want to do? I want to travel the world. 
I do travel. I don't travel as much as I would like to, but I would like to hit the majority of the countries before I leave this earth. So that's one thing. Another is I need to finish my book. I think the last time I was on with you, I might have talked about my book and it has been uh, sitting in a dark closet for a long time. <laughs> 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 um, I did the first draft of it and then I just kind of let it go. You know, in retrospect, I think I might have just gotten scared and was like, oh, I can't do this. But <laughs> I definitely want to revisit it. <laughs> I'm going to pick it up again. I still feel like the subject matter is is important. I think it's still relevant and I still want to do it. It's a book about branding. And I just feel like there's not enough resources out there that make it plain what branding really is. And I think, especially for entrepreneurs who are trying to build a brand and don't know what that means, or even for individuals who are trying to build a brand for themselves and don't know how to do that, I think that there's a lot of insight, hopefully, that I can I can provide. So I definitely want to tackle that and get it back up and running. I just hate that I didn't finish it. So it's got to get finished. <laughs> I mean, I think if you go back and, and take a look at it, especially with, you know, all the knowledge you've gained now, you'll probably see some things in there that you can update that you can maybe add sure. to or something. So take your time with it. Take your time with it. I mean, the thing with with books, I mean, I'm I'm finding this out myself as I'm working on a book. Which I guess this is sort of a, a scoop. I mean, by the time this comes out, people will know that I'm working on a book about Revision Path. But Ooh. I've, <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, I've been working on a book about Revision Path, and it has been a journey. Because, mm. like, at first I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it about the show or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my editor, and he's like, no, you have to go deeper. And I'm like, there's not really that much to it. Like, I wanted to do the show and I did the show. He's like, no, you have to go, like, go back further. Like, where did the seed start? And like, it's taken me all the way back to my childhood. It's like a therapy session trying to get through this book. I mean, I don't know when it's going to come out because I'm still like working on, well, one, I'm working on the proposal, but then just Mm -hmm. even all of the thought to go into how I'm going to approach the story and like talk about it and everything. Like, it'll be good when it comes out. It'll be sort of like part autobiography part about the show but oh man yeah it's a lot it's a lot yeah it is it is is a lot and you know I think it is a major undertaking so I feel like even when I started it several years ago I told myself that even being willing to take on a project that big is a victory period Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Regardless of what happens after that, that is a victory. (laughs) Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, what do you want the next chapter like of your legacy to be? To be honest, I'm kind of leaving it up to the universe a little bit. I think part of this break that I'm taking is just about getting some rest and giving myself a chance to take a break and be able to hear my own voice about what I want next. The benefit of all the the work and the thing, the people that I've been connected to and done stuff with and collaborated with, it's such a blessing that I have several opportunities to do things next. But I want to make sure that I make the right move. I want to make sure that what I'm doing next is going to be fulfilling, that it's going to allow me to grow because that's always something that I want. I never want to stop growing. So 
I'm really taking a break just so that I can hear my own voice and decide what's next. But also I'm taking my hands off of it a little bit and sort of letting things unfold the way that they should unfold. I think sometimes, and I've had to learn this the hard way because sometimes I just want to plan everything. But so often when we try to make plans, the plans that we make are coming from our perspective. There, You can't plan something that you don't know about to some degree. But I think that sometimes you need to let there be some divine intervention, some universe to step in, because sometimes the things that we think we want next isn't big enough because yeah. we can't see it yet, you know? Yeah. And so I feel like, I don't know what it is, but in my heart, I feel like that's where I am. I'm in that, that kind of space where it's time for something big, but I don't know what that thing is yet. So I'm just going to center myself and take some time and figure out what that is. Branding chicks, of course, will still be part of the equation, at least for now. But, you know, I feel like there's so much more to do and so many more people to to have fun with and, and create with. So I'm excited about whatever it ends up being, to be honest. <laughs> I just don't know all of what it is yet. Okay. I think that's a good place to be, though, you know, like to know that you have this possibility or all these possibilities ahead of you and just be excited for what that could be. That's a great place to be because, you know, a lot of folks are stuck and they don't know what or whatever they think might be coming next is just more of the same thing. So to have that that I guess opportunity to dream in that Mm -hmm. way, that's priceless. That's great. You have to believe it first. You know, that's what believing really is, right? Like if it was already concrete and set in stone, then you don't have to believe in it. It's just, it's just there. Yeah. So sometimes you have to just believe that it's going to be great and that it's coming and that it's yours and that you're going to have what you're supposed to have, period. Mm -hmm. I believe that. So I don't know all of what that's going to look like. I don't know all the details, but I do believe that I'm going to have what I'm supposed to have. and. I think it's going to be good. Well, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you and about your work? Where can they find that online? You can check us out at brandingchicks.com. That's where you can find all of my work there. And Bella Boss is bellabossbox.com. The site is on hiatus right now while we pivot, but you can still find us there and also on social media. You can check out Branding Chicks both on Instagram and Facebook and for Bella Boss Box also on Instagram, Facebook, and I don't think we're on Twitter. No, but uh, Facebook and Instagram. So, yeah. All right. Sounds good. Well, Nikita Pope, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show I feel like every time that I see you, and I know that you and I haven't seen each other in a while because of the pandemic, but like every time I see you, you are such a just bright light of just like energy and positivity. And I know that the Atlanta community, of course, knows this. That's why you have that AIGA fellow award. But, you know, when I think of somebody that is always such a positive, just influence in the design community locally and otherwise, I think of you. So I'm just so glad that you're still doing your thing. I'm excited to see what you come up with next. And uh, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for always supporting me. And I love these conversations, whether they happen on the podcast or not. (laughs) We're just catching up. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. (laughs) 
big, big thanks to Nikita M. Pope. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Nikita and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are provided by Brevity and Wit. This episode of Revision Path is also brought to you by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With over 400 plus domain extensions to choose from, including all the classics and fun niche extensions, Hover is the only domain provider I use and trust. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. So what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about the podcast overall? You know, we always love to hear from listeners, so please don't be a stranger. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. You can just search for Revision Path, like all one word, Revision Path. Or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, or on Spotify. The more people you tell about the show, the bigger we become. And the further we can extend our reach to talk to black designers, developers, artists, and other digital creatives from all over the world. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.